glad you sang that song about the rain coming down and our house standing because we're on the foundation of of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Because isn't it unusual seeing that golden ball in the sky? We haven't seen it for nearly a month and we... um, have recorded the wettest march in history with 29 of 31 days seeing rain. And the 8th of March was particularly memorable for me. Um, We we go swimming in Kalani Heights and we had to cross the Roseville Bridge on that day. And I've asked Nuno to show a picture. You may have seen this picture on the news or in social media. Well, that was taken maybe two hours after we got across by the grace of God. I have never, ever seen the Roseville Roseville Bridge flooded like that. Um, We were strapped in. My knuckles were white as I'm gripping the the steering wheel. Uh, But by the grace of God, once again, Mr. Cladis had organized new tires for my car. Oh, thank you, God. And so I was trusting I was trusting God and I was trusting that the tires would grip onto that road. I was praying. I'm like, tires, do your thing. Grip to the road, grip to the road. Help us get to the other side. And thank you, God, we made it home. I was singing hallelujah when we got into the garage. And I share that story because the Christian journey is like a road. The Bible has a lot to say about it being a pathway and how we need to trust God for the path that he's set before us. And he says, you know, hold on to that path. Hold on to that path. And God promises that while we're on that path, he'll be with us. But we need to choose to trust him and to follow him on that path. And last week, Nuno shared a message about the transformation process. It's not just you, you get saved and that's it. There's a process of becoming more and more like Christ. It's a journey. Um, and he, he also said it's a road less traveled. Not everybody wants to walk the road all the way. They like being saved. But being saved and becoming more Christ-like, it's about choosing kingdom ways. But how can we follow the ways of the Lord? Well, we need to open up his word and we spend time discovering what his ways are. And with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, we make a commitment to walking that path. And like I said, you know, my tires gripped the road. Well, I pray that we will grip onto the road of kingdom highway. So today my message is called Mark chapter 10, Kingdom Ways. And my goal is to open up what Jesus says about the ways of the kingdom. Because in Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So let's pray and commit this time of the word to him. So Father God, we open up your word. We pray that you will teach us your ways, that you would soften our hearts, help us trust you and hold on to your path always. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, Mark chapter 10. And I've been teaching for the past little while from the book of Mark. And I've been wanting to get back to basics. What is the foundation of our Christianity? And let's go to the source, to Jesus. What he did, what he said, and what is his message to us? And We've been looking at it verse by verse, line by line, and we're going to continue that. We hit the climax in chapter 8 
where Peter declares, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and die. But then I'm going to rise again. In chapter 9, we see Jesus transfigured. So he's lifted up, he's in dazzling white. We hear the voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And now, it's like we've hit that pinnacle. We're now zooming down the road towards the cross and the empty tomb. So let's start reading Mark chapter 10, and all scripture will be read from the NIV. Okay, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I don't know if they said it like that, but Pharisees, right? Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem. So he knows this is a place where he'll come up against his opposition, the people who want him killed. And his popularity is growing. People are crowding around him still. But those who oppose him, the the Pharisees, they're trying to trick him in his words. They want to arrest him. Will his answers contradict the law? So they ask him, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? And if you look at the equivalent passage in Matthew 19, it asks, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any and every reason? Any and every reason. So you can get divorced for anything, okay? And some of the rabbis of the day said, look, if she burns the breakfast, that's grounds for divorce. If she's quarrelsome, that's grounds for divorce. If you find a fairer woman, that's grounds for divorce. So imagine living in that way. You're you're walking on eggshells. What a horrible way to live. But then Jesus responds in this way. What did, verse 3, what did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 24, if we look back at that, he says, you can write a certificate of divorce in the matter of uncleanness or of sexual immorality. So it's not just a matter of burnt food. It means someone in the marriage relationship has violated the marriage vow. They've violated that covenant of commitment. They've dishonored the marriage. And so he's allowing the divorce certificate because it's, um, God is permitting, well, Moses is permitting it, but it's not actually God's design. Moses didn't command it. He permitted it to protect the people. Because in verse 5, Jesus answers with this. He doesn't want to focus on the divorce. He wants to teach about marriage. Verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So marriage was created by God in the Garden of Eden where there was perfect intimacy. It was perfect, the respect for one another. There was no sin, no sickness, and he designed it so that men and women would not be alone. They would have a helper. 
someone to share with. And so at the coming of age, a man would leave his family of origin and create a new family. And he uses that word united, so they're becoming one. So two opposite people are becoming closer and closer together and and actually becoming one flesh. And when God joins two people together in a marriage, they make a covenant agreement with one another. And the Bible says like that the it's full of covenants god makes covenants with um with abraham god makes covenants with moses god makes covenants with his people and it's a binding promise of commitment in australia wedding ceremonies need to have this um kind of line thrown in there it says that marriage according to law in Australia, is the union of two people to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. So that's every marriage in Australia. Um, And you can't just change those words and say, look, we hope we're going to enter into it for life, or we wish it will. But that is the declaration. And unfortunately, in, in this society, in this world, because it is not a, um, it's not a perfect society, it's not a perfect world. Sin entered the world. Divorce was permitted because of hardness of hearts. The law was, that Moses gave was after the fall. Genesis 3, Exodus, oh sorry, Deuteronomy 24. There's a big difference and a lot has happened. Like even the world was swept away in a flood in Noah's time because of the evil ways of people's lives and people's uh, decisions. When sin entered the world, there's brokenness, there's selfishness, lack of trust, control, pride, fear and abuse. And you know, some relationships are so toxic and so broken. For some people, the only way the two parties can move forward is to divorce. But the heart of God is that what God puts together, let no one separate not even the the people in the marriage. Verse 10. When they were in the house again, oops, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, I should be using the trackpad, not this, sorry. If she, verse 12, if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Because in the eyes of the law, the couple are divorced. But in the, eyes of the God, in the eyes of God, the couple are still one flesh. The covenant made between the husband and the wife still exists. And adultery is that um, sexual misconduct outside of marriage. And God takes all these things extremely seriously. Like we saw in the chapter before, how, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. You're better doing, getting rid of sin in your life then um, and, and enter the kingdom of God. God takes this extremely seriously. So what are we to take from this? Kingdom, ways, and marriage. So marriage is illustrating the binding commitment God makes to his people. 
one of the most powerful passages on marriage is from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says that the husband is to love the wife as he loves himself, and the wife is to respect and honor her husband. The groom gives himself up for the bride. He cleanses her, he washes her, and presents her without stain or wrinkle. God uses this metaphor that the groom is Christ and the bride is the church. So what the husband is doing is by looking after the wife is what Jesus Christ is doing as he cares and looks after the church and he loves her and gives himself up for her. But since the fall, marriage has been subject to the ways of the kingdom of man and the kingdom of darkness. If we were to have a kingdom ways marriage, what would that look like? It would be about building trust, building connection, loving, respectful relationships, being quick to listen, relating to one another, connecting with one another physically, spiritually, emotionally, selflessly, serving one another humbly, developing the fruit of the spirit, forgiving one another and keeping promises. What an amazing world we would live in if marriages looked like that. I've been very grateful that Mr. Cladis and I have been married for 10 years this month. Wow. That's 3,650 days of waking up to this wonderful man. <laughs> and over time, you know, we've had our differences. But it's interesting that the more we walk together, our differences begin to... Um, like the differences that we did have are not so different anymore. Like he was always very introverted and I was a bit more extroverted, but I feel like over time we're, we're kind of finding a spot somewhere in between, you know, like he was a night owl and I was an early bird. But things, just little things like that. But other things you'll notice, you do become more alike as you walk together and become one flesh. I can imagine the D'Souza have been walking for 50 years together. Well done, D'Souza's. <laughs> but, um, but it's not easy. It takes time and it takes work. Ten years ago, I had an argument with my husband and it was the first year of our marriage and I don't remember what the argument was about but I remembered my response. I felt in that moment I wanted to run away and I literally took myself to the corner of the house where opposite to where he was and I was sobbing thinking what have I just want to run I can't handle this but in that moment I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and nudge me and said are you going to run or are you going to forgive and I had a choice there it's like how am I going to start my walk together with my husband and it was about obeying that voice of the Holy Spirit and working on that forgiveness. Like, as you're being forgiven, be a forgiver. So I went back and mended the relationship. And from that moment on, I realized the importance of listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit all the way through your married life. But then, what about those who are not married? Okay, because, you know, not what are the kingdom ways for those who are not married? And I believe that, you know, for those who have married and have divorced, 
that's really, really hard because when you enter a marriage, you're, you enter it with the intent that it's going to last for life. And if you've been through a breakdown of a marriage, I can't believe, you know, the pain and the, um, just the, the, the heartache that goes before and after that. But, and sadly, in this broken world, relationships suffer and many, many marriages do end in divorce. Um, and Matthew 19, the disciples said, look, if it's going to be like that, it's better not to marry. You know, if it's going to be like so serious, <laughs> better not to marry. Well, Jesus said, look, in Matthew chapter 9, you, you don't have to get married. Some people are born never marrying. Some people choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom. And if you can accept that, well done to you. You don't have to follow the root of marriage for your life. It's up to you. You can live an extremely fruitful and productive kingdom life in whatever situation you're in. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, says he chooses to remain single so he can be devoted to the Lord's work. But whatever path you're on, walk that kingdom path that God has set for you. And for those who are unmarried and are keen to get married, this passage is a good reminder that entering a marriage is not to be taken lightly. Consider very carefully who you're entering that marriage covenant with because it's something that God takes very seriously and God knows the desires of your heart so you can trust him. So that is quite a lot (laughs) to say about marriage and that's not even like a tiny bit of what the whole Bible talks about with marriage, adultery, healing and restoration. I don't have time to go into all of that today, but I'd invite you to study it in your own time if you want a greater depth for it. But my prayer is that you would help us make a commitment to live the kingdom ways in marriage and um, not the ways of the world. Which leads me to the next part of the passage is the little children and Jesus. So let's go to verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I... I'm so lucky. I get to work with children. And one of my favorite things that I have in my heart is the sound of children's laughter. When I see their faces, their innocence, their eyes filled with wonder. You know, the the child's future is so bright. And in Jesus' day, the parents were so keen. They wanted to come to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, can you put your hands on my children and bless them? And Jesus happily took them in. And when the disciples tried to stop them, he rebuked them. He's like, stop. He's angry at the disciples. Let the children come to me. You know, the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Remember the voiceless ones, the ones that are seemingly unimportant, especially in this society. But Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to such as these. And Jesus knew that he... um, that he was someone that the children felt safe with. Children don't come up to you if they don't feel safe. Like you can walk across the room and they're like, "Mm -mm." or you can have someone else, like you see some of the teachers, they always get bombarded with hugs. 
because the children just crowd towards them. And that's what Jesus was like with the kids. They loved Jesus and Jesus loved them. But it says that we won't enter the kingdom unless we enter it like a children. So what should we do? Does that mean that we become childish? Or does it mean we need a childlike faith? So we, have you ever given a gift to a child and seen them reject it? Like, yeah, nah. Well, the other day, Alison, our friend Alison, out of the goodness of her heart, had a little present all wrapped up for, for Christina. And Christina didn't say, oh, Alison, it's not my birthday, it's not Christmas, go take it back to that shop where you bought it from. No, she didn't. She like grabbed it and was ripping the paper off. And when she saw it was beautiful, three unicorns, it's so cute. She said, oh, wow, I've dreamed of getting a present like this. It was the cutest things because she was receptive she was open and she was welcoming. And that's what we need to be like with the kingdom of God. So God is offering you the kingdom of God. He's offering it to you. And we need to say, yes, I've always dreamed of this. And we also need to not hinder the children from coming to the Lord. We need to allow them to come to Jesus you know, we must, as a community, teach our children the ways of the Lord. We need to teach them kingdom ways. As parents, we need to teach their children and lead them diligently to Jesus and set kingdom ways as an example for our lives. So my prayer is that our hearts become humble like a little child's, that will receive his gift and we will enter the kingdom, and then we will allow Jesus to place his hands on us and bless us. Amen? Let's go to the third little story in our scripture today. So this is um, the rich and the kingdom of God. So verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So as Jesus is continuing his journey, the man comes up to him. He's bowing. He's like literally down on his knees, calling out to Jesus. He's acknowledging that Jesus is good. He asks the question, what must I do? And the emphasis is on the word do because the man is looking for a checklist that he can tick off so he can get his well-earned ticket to heaven. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Is it possible for people to be good? Are people good inherently or are we filled with sin? That's the question. But Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. <laughs> and Jesus, but you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus is having a conversation with him. He knows that it's not just about keeping the commandments, but he's kind of giving him a little bit of a test because he's only listing some of the commandments. What about commandments one to four? You must have no other God but me. You shall have no idols. You may not misuse the name of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath. Let alone what Jesus does in summarizing the law and the prophets when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, 
Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He thinks it's possible to keep the law. He says he's kept all of them. But I wonder if he kept the heart of the law, that not hating, not lusting, having pure motives at all times. He claims to have kept the law, but why is he feeling anxious? Why is he still looking for that, what must I do to inherit salvation? What must I do? He's not at peace because keeping the law will not give you the assurance of your salvation. And no one can be made right by keeping the law. It's not possible. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus is shaking up his foundation of his beliefs. Jesus loves him. He's got compassion towards him. He's not trying to trick him. But if the man is so sure he's kept all the commandments, but what about idols? What about this command to love your neighbor as yourself? If he truly loved his neighbor as himself, he wouldn't hesitate to take his wealth and share it with the poor. But he went away downcast because he wasn't willing to follow the law. He he was willing to follow the law up to a certain point. But when it cost him, he wasn't willing to go all the way to follow Jesus himself. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, have you picked up a needle lately to sew a button on and you see the size of the eye of the needle? All it has space for is to put some thread in. But how can a two meter tall, 600 kilogram camel fit through that needle? It's impossible. Because God says, where, or Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And because people who are rich can often have their heart in their riches. They're caught out by the commands to have no other God or idols before the Lord. It's, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom because often the rich can trust in their assets or their bank account rather than trusting a saviour. When someone has earthly riches, they often don't hope for anything more. And we can often see in our society, which is rich by global standards, that hunger and thirst for God can, can drop and wane. This is why it's so hard. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible with God. It's impossible for man, but possible for God. Can a camel fit through an eye of a needle? No, but God can do it. Can a rich man enter the kingdom of God? No, but God can do it. Can a 90-year-old woman have a baby? No, but God can do it. Can a man be in the belly of a fish for three days and live to tell the tale. No, but God can do it. I could go on and on because God can do anything because God is sovereign. 
He's all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. So when he says something, we need to be like, yes, Lord, it's possible for you. And Peter spoke up, verse 28. We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Peter spoke up, what about us? What are we going to get? What about me? And often we're like that. What about me, God? But unlike the rich man who basically gave up nothing to follow Jesus, Peter left everything, his boat, his fishing nets, his family, his reputation, he left everything to follow Jesus. And don't get me wrong, Jesus saw it. He honoured it. And, but God in his omnipotence, in his all-powerfulness, he will reward and give as he sees fit. Many who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. But Jesus is talking about surrender. And I wonder if in your Christianity you've had to leave things behind to follow God. Like leave some friendships, leave some bad habits. My first job uh, was in a Christian school, and I really believe that was my ministry at the time. I had to leave my home and my church and my familiar things around me, and it was tough at first. But God made up for it in so much, so many more ways. I have made friends who became like sisters and mothers. I have a new home that was filled with so much warmth and blessing. So you can't often pay, like it's, it's not dollar for dollar. But God, um, God rewards. God is able to give and give without any sadness. And God makes things beautiful in his time. It might not happen straight away. But along the way, there are persecutions. There are hard times. People will give you a hard time. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But we trust that Jesus will get us through. We will get to the other side. We will get across that Roseville Bridge. But all the kingdom of earth will get across the kingdom of earth and get to the kingdom of heaven. So just to recap, kingdom ways and the rich, it's not about being good, it's not about money, it's not about earning it, but Jesus, he's the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the saviour and no one can save themselves. God's salvation plan depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection, our trust and reliance on him for eternal life, for the forgiveness of our sins. And... It's by his grace and mercy that we live in him for the rest of our lives. It's impossible to achieve on our own, but it is possible to achieve with God. And Jesus promises whatever sacrifices you've made, he's seen it for the sake of the kingdom. He's noticed it. He's seen every tear, every prayer, every ounce of time and energy you've poured into God and his people, and you will not fail to see that reward. So I'm going to conclude now. Thank you for being patient. You've been a great audience or congregation. What should I say? Class? <laughs> no. People. You're God's people. Amen. So kingdom ways. You may have heard that expression when the rubber hits the road. 
You know, that's where, what happens when you put something into practice, when you have to face your challenges. Because the Bible is not just a collection of wise sayings. It's the word of God breathed by his spirit. And there are two ways to live. There's a kingdom way and there's a kingdom of the earth way. Only one will lead to eternal life. My tires grip the road in the midst of the storm. And I pray that your tires, your, um, your Christianity, when the rubber hits the road, it will grip onto that pathway. So as we reflect now about what I've shared today, I, just, I want you to have a little time to um, let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart and think about what the Lord says about marriage, divorce, single life, What's the kingdom path for you? What's the kingdom way for you? And how is your heart placed to receive the kingdom of God? What is your faith like? Is it childlike? Are you thankful? Are you receptive? Do you trust God for your blessing? for your salvation are you assured of your salvation or do, are you relying on your good works or keeping the law to make you pleasing in God before God or do you trust in the finished work of Jesus for your salvation you know maybe some of these words are, are shaking your worldview just like Jesus shook the worldview of the, the rich young man but I pray but as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has made these words light up in your heart, in your spirit. I pray the Holy Spirit is testifying that this is the truth. So this morning, if you want to acknowledge and renew your commitment to the Lord and to His Word, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. As we allow the Spirit to work in our hearts, He is leading us and moving us in that process of transformation. I invite you to surrender your thoughts and cares and worries about your life and allow the Word of God to take root in your heart. God will take you, lead you and guide you. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Father God, we thank you for your kingdom ways. Your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We pray that this church would discover and align ourselves with your ways. May we set our course steady on your paths of righteousness. Forgive us for straying or coming off your path, but we pray that you would forgive us. Help us to trust you and follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.